Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. Hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. I guess Justin, hey, you got to say. Your video is still on, by the way. I know I can't figure out how to make it go away. I have a new <laughs> phone, guys. Um, so actually, you know what's funny is, are any of you old enough to remember? At there we go. Are any of you old enough to remember at the advent of CDs, a hack that was very popular was a tape player that's a tape with a wire coming off it that somehow headphone jacked I had that into, yes. you know what I mean? Like it was, you, yep. you put a tape in your car and then a plug into your portable right. CD player with shock yep. absorbers. Well, <laughs> I am now, so having lived with the iPhone 12 for however many years you could live with it, I've now upgraded to the newest, the 15, but that means I need a third version of a jack to make this headphones for the show work on the phone because they no longer have a lightning cable. So this is a pilot run of that sound. So all the people at home who care, and I know how many of you that are, tell me if we sound same, okay, or better. You anyway. Sound the same to me, but. Yeah, but you have a cold. I can tell. I I do have a cold, yes. You clearly have an ear, nose, throat issue. So your ears are suspect being part of the ear, nose, throat. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Uh, so let's let's introduce, I guess we could say old friend, Chris McClellan. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Augie, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, for those of you who have memories like mine, last time Chris was here, I remember sitting at a picnic table on the window side of Treadwell, right by the popcorn machine, and discussing a new venture, which was Guinness America. That's right. Am I getting that all right? Did I get that all right? Yeah, that you you do have an excellent memory. That's more. Well, no, I, I had some props from Justin. So here's the thing. I forgot all the details of the show. But when Justin said Chris was on at 18 and he had just worked with Guinness, like that whole vision came to me. I was like, okay, we sat at this table, talked about that. Like, it, I need weird prompts for a good memory, but Justin gave me good prompts. Me too. Me too. Yeah. How you doing, man? I am excellent. I am excellent. I'm, I apologize in advance, guys. I'm homesick with my my toddler daughter. So you might get a couple uh, a couple little bleats in the background here. But otherwise, That's... I'm doing great. I'm, I'm drying off. Yeah, so that's, I hate, I don't know how we make it interesting. I don't know how it's interesting radio, but this whole show is about bringing people that talk about beer together and just talking about beer. And if I were to bump into a bar today, it is for Thieves at Home, it is a, it is the Harvest Moon Saturday, 
So like last day of September, full moon, a crazy ass storm ripped through the Northeast. Wasn't named. It wasn't anything big deal. And it was kind of just annoying rain for like seven or eight days in a string. But some point yesterday around the morning high tide, it got public knowledge that Brooklyn was under five feet of fucking water. Yep. Which yep. is a, so I don't even understand how that happens. Like, do you remember, are you guys old enough to remember the storm right after Sandy that ravished Vermont and fucked up the original, um, the original alchemist? Alchemist, yep. I remember. So, yep. But this was like that. Like when that happened, I was like, how does a hurricane hit Vermont? And a lot of that is just my ignorance. Like, isn't Vermont inland? Doesn't it not touch the, you know, isn't there no tidal water there? Blah, 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 blah. And then we learned, indeed, it is the Northeast. It does hang out, you know, further than New Jersey. And those storms rip up there. But yesterday, I spent the whole day like, how does Brooklyn get all this water without everywhere else getting all this water you know what i mean like it was bad a lot of places but brooklyn was fucked yesterday so yep. tell us about that my two brooklyn boys justin justin and chris like what's going on over there you guys were had no subways for 24 hours right it was insane i, I took my my son goes to school directly across the street from our apartment here in i live on the border of gowanus and carroll gardens and um, Justin, you know, the street, the school across the street, right? You've seen it. It's like, it's yep, like yep. seven feet from my front door, you know? And I struggled to get across the street because flowing down the street was probably five inches of like river water coming down the street at 8 yep. a.m. And it was astounding. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that much rain in a five hour period. And, and I'm almost 11 years into living in New York City now. So I don't have much more to say about it other than it's astounding. But well, I'm just intrigued by, is it because we've had, because we've had, I know the rest of the world is struggling from different stuff, but we've had a pretty wet year. And I'm just wondering if it's like, obviously, if you're anywhere near the Atlantic and Brooklyn is very near the Atlantic, the high tide affects storm surge. But I was just confused by like, is it the Gowanus is overflowing? Is there so much water up the Hudson that that we're getting downstream flooded. Like I just like, and it doesn't nope. matter. And obviously I'm being boring, but I need an explanation for how <laughs> it, was just, Brooklyn... it was just precipitation. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't storm surge at all. Yeah. No. It was just the amount of rain. But why was... did Brooklyn collect it? I guess is what I, I'm saying. It just hit Brooklyn, the amount of rain that came down, it was torrential rain, like torrential, the peak of any summer storm, but for five straight hours which is why it's yeah, yeah. so that's what happened that's amazing yep. and i'm surprised brooklyn isn't prepared for that right like I like we brooklyn's are it's been brooklyn a long fucking time uh yeah, yeah but there's a lot of low-lying areas in brooklyn you know like especially around gowanus uh yeah. coming off park slope and then also coming chris is kind of on a hill where he is too so there's like you know it was funneling down through there i saw a picture near other half. I think they were closed yesterday because they had to close yesterday. Real yeah, other half had to close yesterday. Yeah, I think all those breweries there were just completely inundated with water. I was texting. Now let me back. ask you. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you two Brooklyn boys. Is the part of Brooklyn Turstizen going to be affected by this? Because my plan is to be at Turst tomorrow for beer stock. It's like it never happened. There, there's really all, it all flowed away. I mean, I, yesterday I was texting the guys at Wild East in Gowanus and Threes, and they, they walked into both of their breweries with four inches of water. 
floating into the breweries and into the production space and into the tap room and they cleaned it out and i walked in yesterday to go for a walk at like four o'clock once the rain had stopped and it didn't even look like there had been any rain so you'll never notice when you come here good all right well see that's what brooklyn's good at for being an old old town <laughs> old uh king's county all right so now let's start talking about beer. So like I said, last year on, you were with this upstart young company called Guinness who was mm. trying to make a break in America. Mm. Um, and they built a Maryland brewery. And, and I think you did a good job, as I understood your role to be at the time, of setting it in a good light because that would be the type of thing I tend to resent amongst most beer of that size. And we've come to embrace that as an interesting little thing going on in the adjacent community. Uh, but since then, you've left and you've started a group of things that if I were a real businessman, I'd understand. But I'm going to ask you before we even start talking about the different things your fingers are in these days is what the fuck is an ERP and what the fuck is a CRM? Because Justin said them to me like I like they're absolutely <laughs> business things. A guy who's been running a brewery or theoretically running a brewery for 12 years should know. And I was like, ERP, what's an ERP? So start with what's an ERP. I'll give you the brief. <laughs> We're just going to, instead of using the acronym, I'm just going to say ERP for the rest of this podcast because I like Please that. Please do. Um, Please do. So <laughs> the short answer is we started a brewery in Manhattan called Torch and Crown Brewing Company. Um, I joined we know it well. It's yeah. friends of ours, right? An old cane brewers there, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Joe, Joe Correa is a, is a yep. is co-founder there. And I joined um, the startup team in 2008. January 1st of 2020. Um, oh, bless your heart. Sorry, buddy. Time. Yeah, man. But we, we got through <laughs> it. So, um, but long story short, I wasn't stoked with a lot of the, um, they were using a, a very standard industry ERP system called ECOS. And, I use ECOS. Um, ECOS is an ERP? It's an ERP. It's an ERP. Yep. That's an ERP. Um, okay. So I have so, an ERP. Check me out. Yeah, you got if you run a brewery, especially I mean, Augie, you guys are are big now. So you you have to use a system like that. You'd be crazy not to. Um, but I wasn't stoked with a lot of the commercials. You know, I, I've worked in commercial marketing and sales for a long time. And so I wasn't stoked with a lot of the commercial uh, functionality that came with it. And so we start I, we basically built our own version of it. Um, and I developed our own version of a CRM slash some ERP capabilities at the time. Okay, so um, tell me what CRM is and what ERP is. What are those acronyms? ERP is Enterprise Resource Planning. So that's a, think okay. of that as any- So none of those are important words, go on. Yes, so those are just, <laughs> those are just words, but long, yeah, but the, the basics is that if you're a manufacturing or production operation, so such as, such as breweries, um, you need a, a system that lets you bring all of your pieces together cohesively. And so that's essentially in a nutshell what an ERP does, right? Is it lets you right. take all of your resources and puts it all in one place and lets everybody kind of use that effectively. So that's from fulfillment, procurement, inventory, supplies, labor, like all that kind of stuff, right? And then the yep. other side of it is think of that as the commercial side or the selling side. So CRM is customer relationship management. And there's huge okay. products out there like Salesforce that are you know the the you know the big the big bad amazing crms that you can use but they're not really customized for um producers and specifically you know my heart has always been in, with local producers and, and in the beer world for a long time and so we are we developed our new company resin um tailored towards small to medium-sized producers and, and breweries in this country and so what it does is it allows you to basically both produce so on the erp side so manage the production process from start to finish very very easily and then also manage the sales process. So everything from account management, inventory management, field field and sales activity, 
um, all the way to all the reporting and um, sort of KPI development and like all the stuff that you have to do on the CRM side to manage your business effectively. So both producing and selling your products. So tell me this because clearly this is a startup just on the timeline. I'm not I'm not yep. judging its effic efficacy as you're new. What I will say is, and to be fair to this, I'm sure if I was using yours, I'd say the same thing about you because I don't think there's any way for any of these things to ever do. You know what I mean? We all turn into a Karen when we're like, why doesn't it do this? It should do this. And it That's sounds right. like you turn that into a new business. But yep. the one credit I give Ecos for is when carton people, particularly managers, come to me and say, well, Ecos is the worst. It won't do this. When I say, well, get on the fucking phone with Ecos and tell them you want them to do it, they seem to be pretty good about, for those of you that are home, and clearly I don't understand anything we're talking about here, but what I can tell you is all of this shit is just ways to interface with Excel spreadsheets. Um, and Ecos seems to do a good job if I'm like, why the fuck can't I get this report based on these three factors? They seem to be good at routing a cell and giving me a way to get that info. Yeah. How much How much of your day is, you know what I mean, is, is, yeah, is yeah. Yeah. modeling? For it, lack of a better term, we we have five clients. We're brand new. You're absolutely right, Augie. So we just launched on July 1st. I've spent I left Torch and Crown in February of this year, and fuck those guys. They're dead to us. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I hope not, man. I, I poured my heart and soul into it, but uh, yeah. the the we started on July 1st. We have five clients now. I'm very proud of what we built so far. But you're not wrong. It's very difficult to build a perfect product, especially for the industry of. I think it's just that, you know, we were at CBC this year having this conversation and there's a lot of folks out there who are either lukewarm or just straight up unhappy with all of the software they used, right? And I and I think that nearly 100% of the, and I, I had hundreds of conversations um, of people said that. And I think it's a result of both like imperfect products, right? Like nobody makes a perfect product to your point, but it's also a result of just, you know, people in the beer space aren't overly interested in this stuff, right? So if it just, if they run into one little piece of friction, right? They, they tend to get a little upset or um, just get frustrated. And it's understandable because you don't want to be dealing with it, right? You're, you're, you know, you've got 150 degree wort here and you're, you're just trying to enter a fucking fermentation log and, and you can't do it. Right. And so it's hard and I get it. Yeah. Uh, and so Ecos has been around the longest and, and they certainly, um, they certainly have huge market share. And so what we're trying to do is take the best of that and make it more customizable yeah. with it's really tailored to small to medium-sized businesses. It makes sense. So I think I'm, I think I'm picking at a thread and being, you know, typical Augie, a little more cynical than you. And I say it, I'll take ownership of this myself before I start. But I think, I think very few brewers, brewery managers, young startup guys like me, if there's 10,000 of us now, I think 8,000 are at my level of really having no fucking idea what's going on. And I'm the only guy who thinks it's interesting and funny to talk about that truth. But I feel like that's what you run into on all these things. Because everybody I talk to that hates them. And again, I can't solve any of my own problems. But for me, it's the dialogue of what the problems are. And that's where I find all these little places, including my own, giving up. Because having come from a, a financial modeling world, where the accuracy of your Excel spreadsheet interface is how much money you are or aren't making. 
I know that there's a never ending amount of info you can put in and get out of those things. You just got to tell the guy who knows how to do it, what you want. Right. So it's a combination of, so that's what I see as our big problem. You know what I mean? Yes. I know exactly what that makes sense. It makes more sense than you can believe. I mean, I, I haven't, I have a different company that, (laughs) that, that works on business consulting with these, that basically tries to solve some of these problems for, for producers as well. And that you hit the nail on the head. It's business, it's business acumen combined with interest in whatever is going on in that moment, right? So if you're sitting there saying, okay, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Brewer, who started this brewery, I need you to sit down and do some, you know, strategic planning for 18 months. And we're going to do a lot of financial modeling. It's not interesting, right? It's not interesting to, Oh God, it's fucking horrible. And so they, they become uninterested. (laughs) And if you're, if you're un or disinterested in that, then you're not going to, you're not going to put your heart and soul into it. And so there's, there's a lot of that going on coupled with, you know, still some growing pains, I think with some of these platforms, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell is just like the, the the need to focus, I think a little bit, it's, it's hard, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so what I would say to your customers and everybody that's in my role out there is what I say to my people when they hit these. So it all, it almost always goes, I have a question. Like, can we look at so-and-so's region and look at where their concentration of successful sales are because I suspect they're going where it's easy and focusing there and attaining some accomplishment and not spreading past there because it's harder. So how do we get that thing? And, you know, the reaction for most people is Ecos doesn't do that. Or what's the name of your ERP? My herb and CRM is called resin. Okay. So or resin doesn't do that. Right. And I always say to my people, I'm like, well, look, we pay these guys money to give us the tools we need. So never be okay with that. Doesn't do that. Get on the phone with them as a customer as a, here's what I'd like to see and see if they can show you a way to do it already. And if not, see if they can figure out a way to solve it. And although that is work for everybody. And I just think it's the only way to handle these things, right? You pay a fee for customer service, get that customer service. And I think everything ends up fine. Like I said, um, but interesting. Anyway, let's move on from that, but that's cool. That's a good thing. And to be fair, I think as we look at 10,000 breweries, we learn there's tranches, there's 5,000 breweries under a five barrel capacity. And they are a very different business than everybody between five and 25,000. And then there's 25,000 to 100,000. And then there's over 100,000. And a lot of what's going wrong is they're very different businesses. Therefore, there's very different successful tools, right? Like it's the the flying goose canning line. The flying goose canning line is exactly the right tool up until it's not. You know I love I mean? that you and, call and it the flying goose. goose. It's not the What's name. What's it called? It's goose. a wild goose. I like what flying goose. Stuff. I like that. Yeah. Oh, shut up. I knew, I yeah, knew what you meant. It's, I got goose right. At least I didn't say swan. <laughs> it's the, uh, the delta between those business sizes, though, is incredible. And in terms of what they require. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about that is that they need hold all... on i love what you just said but i want you to explain delta you need to explain delta to the thieves 
Because I only know it from trading terms, right? Delta is how much your hedge ratchets for every move of the base. Explain delta and what you're talking about because delta is a Greek and not a lot of people go as far out as theta. (laughs) So delta is just the change of the difference, right? So the, the, the difference between the operating model to a business that makes 800 barrels of beer which is not nothing, right? That's a lot of beer. Um, and then a business that makes 8,000 barrels and then a business that makes 80,000 barrels. Um, those are That's the difference between a golf cart and a cruise ship, you know, in terms of the requirements and the operational complexity. And so um, the the overall need to, like the tool that is required to do the job and the, and the more specifically, the problem that needs to be solved for those business sizes is totally different. The 800 barrel brewery needs to save time because they only have two staff you know, total, whereas the 80,000 barrel brewery needs to do what you said, which is to figure out why their sales team keeps going to the same 36 accounts instead of trying to get new business, right? So it's a, it's just totally right. different. So let me ask you a question before I move on. I know I said we'd move on, but now I have an interesting question. In my head, theoretically, if we walked into AB Newark, there are like flow meters, hooked into some version of these things that has like to the ounce what was produced where it's going what the loss was what the waste was and what the efficiency was you know what i mean and when you start from there you can take it all the way out but that's obviously going to be proprietary to a b and whatever but i think a big problem for us small guys is we want that level of accuracy to truly understand it because there's so many questions we have about our own data not understanding that that flow meter is probably an eight piece of equipment you know what i mean like it's like why can't it just tell me exactly how much beer we made we we know that it's 15 barrels with blah 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 loss you know what i mean and it's like yeah but some of these are the things you're using to measure the devil's in the details with all of this and if you take the time what I've always told my clients is the same thing, right? If you if you truly take the time to understand your business and understand all the little pieces that you need to track, you can make an incredibly large amount of beer with an incredibly small staff, and you can do it with you know very very high quality. You can do all the things well, but it just takes that attention to detail um, and making the time to think about those things is something that most people don't do. So it comes down to making the time to think right. about these things, you know. Yeah, I, I, that totally makes sense. All right, let's get let's get off this because this is minutia and this is small business. But so let's uh, let's talk about beer one. So as I understand it, Cass, you threw yours on the ground in contempt. Um, no, not not Chris, true. you have it and it's still obscured. Yep. Uh Kennedy, you sent it. So I am drinking beer one blind. Sadly, I know what beer two is because there was an artisanal. Uh, <laughs> Artisanal foil meat meat sticky target bag issue when I unwrapped it. But beer one is blind to me, and I think it's lovely and delightful. Um, I think really only Chris, you and I are talking blind. So I'll pass to you. But my first two notes are I've got a really, really clean kind of chill little ale, you know, nondescript bar ale flavor. But there's a I've described it as like a peroxide sensation. Like I get it from boat. It's one of my favorite things about boat, but there's a couple, you know, small, simple beers that have just kind of like a, 
a prickly finish, like something's bubbling on your tongue kind of finish, like a washing clean kind of finish. And I'm getting that here without, you know, this is not me saying it's anything like that, but it's something in small beers. I think it's probably a yeast thing. But you know what I mean? Like it, it's cleaning my tongue after I'm done tasting it. Sure. Chris, what I are you can, getting I, off this one? So I'm in a dark, I've tried to find the darkest glass I could. I, I unfortunately can still see a little bit of the color, but I'm trying not to think about that. Um, but the the aroma on this is subtle. It's very, very balanced. Um, like it's got, it's got some like late finish hops in there. Like I can definitely just the tat, like the smallest bit of resiny character in there, right? Which I would get from like a more traditional ale. I agree with you. And there's a little, yeah. fruit, there's a little fruitiness on the nose too. Um, but there's also the mouthfeel. The mouthfeel is, it's, it's not, not, it's, it's lovely, right? Like it's the kind of beer I want to drink. Yeah. It's not nondescript, but it's also, there's nothing overwhelming about any portion of what I'm drinking right now. Right. Like this just has like, yeah, it's drink 11 of these in a row flavor, you know? So it, it feels definitively British to me but i think not because of my knowledge of beer because ultimately a lot of the sensations i'm getting here are tea like like we've an esb we do at the brewery that i actually add some bergamot peel to because i'm trying to make it more like tea but i got kind of the foundation beer here you know what i mean so yep. so that prickliness or that cleansing thing almost feels like the tannins in an earl grey tea the hops you're talking about are kind they're not citrusy, but they're kind of citrus fruity. You know what and I mean? It's and, the more I drink it, I'm I'm four sips in. It's it's not yeah. not bitter. I mean, the, the bitterness is is defined, you know. Yeah, and lovely and lovely for it. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely a fun beer. I want it to be like three. You know what I mean? I want this to be a beer where tomorrow morning I wake up more worried about the calories I consume than the alcohol I consume. My favorite beer right there. Like, I think you were saying, but I feel, I feel like this is an 11, you know, 11, 12 beer. Well, I mean, shit, it's, it's like a perfect day. So in, in, in real life today, it's that rain we were just talking about has just ended. There's still some drizzle going on. It's still gray. It's, cold but not cold it's cold because of humidity it's like 60 degrees but it feels cold and i am headed up to plan b evans farm to catch the full harvest moon final concert of the day and i feel like this is also a weirdly shaped bottle but i feel like had justin sent me 24 of these bottles i would probably put one in a paper cup for the drive up to evans open one with Evan and at 10 o'clock tonight, I'd be headed home from the farm having drank all 24 of these. Does that make sense? This is exactly, this makes perfect sense. And this, this is reminiscent to me of all of my, you know, my, my somewhat limited, but still enough to be memorable experiences of drink. I agree with you drinking in pubs in, in England and Ireland and just ordering an ale and just not even thinking about it after that, you know? Um, and I feel like yeah. that's, that's a, <gasps> did you hear that cuteness that's listen the... to the cuteness thieves hello some cuteness how old is that person i've got some cuteness here in my lap um this person <laughs> i can hear this person is two and a half and no. she's been... oh. so oh love two and a half all right so let's move on from the beer 
Do you want to know what it is, Augie? Talk about, but what is it? Yeah, what is it, Kennedy? You guys are right on the dot. It's an English brewery called Coniston Brewing Company. This is oh, their. This is Bluebird. This Bluebird has got to be Bluebird. Bitter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, bottle a... condition. Okay, I don't know what that amazing. is. <laughs> I don't know what it's... anything you guys are saying is. So help, help the idiot. What's? It's. Uh, I've only ever had it on Coniston. What did you say? Coniston. Coniston makes. Coniston is a, is a very old brewery in England, and they make cask and bottle conditioned versions of this beer. And Bluebird is, in my opinion, I think is the most is the most iconic bitter. Here, I'll go on mute again. Here, but yeah, this is a great beer. No, we can it's we a... can hear baby voices. Hannah Hannah used to produce this show. Don't be afraid. <laughs> all uh, of our kids have been on this show. Maybe not all. That's, but... that's right. Well, no, my kids are way too grown up for this. So yeah, this is um, a, this is an old. Shelton that's Brothers. a lovely beer. So it's an old Shelton Brothers uh, brand that's now imported so by Lime Ventures out of California. Um, and yeah, it's this version. Augie is four point two percent. The regular version of this beer that's not bottle conditioned is like three two. I think this is so. the best beer on planet Earth right now. It's ten a.m. <laughs> oh my god, this is so good. And it's four two, right? So it's right in my sweet spot. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a lovely beer. This is amazing. Uh, Kennedy, it's a bottle, yeah. and it's clearly bottle conditioned. I think maybe that scrubby thing I'm talking about might be just conditioning yeast in the beer, and maybe that's a Sierra thing, and maybe that's I gotta I gotta look Could into be. that. But I got yeah. it again. But um, but I've got like. Three questions that maybe you guys can't answer. You said the force carved version is three two, and the bottle condition is four two. There's no way it's going up one full point of gravity in the bottle conditioning, right? Sorry, so three three. They must four. make it a little stronger, but they must make it a little stronger for bottle conditioning. Yeah, it must be a and different, two, slightly different recipe. Yeah. Two. Did you catch the dates on this? No. Is this fresh? Because the hop presence, I think Chris paid a lot more attention to the hops than I did in the tasting notes, but they are definitely there and feeling fresh. So if this bottle's like came from England old, it's a neat beer. And I bet you fresh, it's fucking, you know, like a like a wet hop beer. This is this is great. I'm 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 running out of adjectives other than to say that. <laughs> well, good job, Kennedy. Did you know we were recording at 10 a.m. when you picked this pleasant beer? Uh, this tea flavored beer? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. All right. Did. Well, well done. I'm glad you didn't send us fucking delirium tremens again. <laughs> um and to the thieves that live in New York, you can get this delicious beer on draft at Delaware Supply up in the Albany area. Um again, very fantastic. I, you I can't live in New York. Huh? These that live in New York, they can go it's get a bad it. Bad joke. It's a bad joke. Um, all right. Get so drink it later. Neat beer. Thanks, Kennedy. I'm I'm glad it's called Bluebird, right? I'm looking for Bluebird. Yeah, Bluebird bitter. bitter. Oh yeah. All right, cool. I will definitely be on the lookout for this. Is, but yeah, I feel like I feel like if I found this on cast, like it sounds like you just did cast, I feel like I would need to like do a a Thundercats, Thundercats, Thundercats ho and force you all to meet me at whatever bar I found it at. Cause I think the only real experiment is can I drink this for eight hours? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where the science is, is can we, can we get haughty and fun with this? All right. So let's get back to it. So I, I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, Chris, but the thing you have that I think is interesting 
is Torch and Crown. And I know you've moved on, but it sounds like you're very amicable and I'm not looking for whatever. But as a guy who has always been on the marketing side of things, if you talk to me about opening a new brewery, a very ambitious brewery, in as much as it's in Manhattan, which is the most devastatingly impatient um, hospitality scene in the world, and looking to open January 2020, there'd be a lot of fear. But coming around it has to have leaned heavily into the market brand side of things. So if you don't mind my asking you to relive some trauma, as this should, like for me, the only move is population density, be the coolest fucking bar there is here and get people to come in here because it's cool and we'll get through this. Um, not lean into storied beers of yesteryear and, and the fun of, of, you know, the old monk's burp castle or whatever you know what i mean like yeah like what 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 had you been doing that worked in your favor going into that i'm talking about the whole team but you as the branding guy what manhattan is all about your branding right you can put styrofoam on the ceiling but if you paint it to look like wood everybody gets psyched yeah um what's uh what was you know what i mean what what happened and what were the pivots you made and it sounds like you guys are doing well. I'm on all the mailing lists for Torch and Crown. And every now and then I find a Torch and Crown beer at a bar in Manhattan and get very excited about it. I think I've loved the Hells a couple times. Um, you know what I mean? How, how did it go? What were the changes? What were the successes and what were the failures? What was it like launching a brand in the most unforgiving city in the world at the most confusing time in the last 20 years? It's funny. I, I struggle. I struggle to tell people this. And I'm so I'm, I'm grateful you asked it that way, because when you talk to people about what you've done for the past three and change years uh, in the beer world, and you're like, oh, we started a brewery. And they're like, oh, that's fun. And you're like, no, no, no. But it's more than that. Um <laughs> You know, it's it's this difficult conversation that requires all the context that you're providing. But, you know, I left Guinness. It took John Dantzler, who's the co-founder of Torch and Crown. Um, it, it probably took him 18 months to convince me to leave Guinness and join his crazy idea, you know. Right. Uh, and I did. Little did I know. Right. But I did. And I and I left at the end of 2019 after six years there. And. You know, we had a lot of balls in the air and it was so ambitious because there were a lot of audibles called on the, you know, for, for you know, strictly from the business model. I mean, there was in the original business plan for Torch and Crown, there was no large Bronx production facility and there is a large Bronx pr production facility. Right. And so that that was the old Chelsea facility that they got for for a fire sale. And um, there were a lot of condition like there were a lot of things happening in my head all at once is how we were going to be successful, you know. Uh, hold on one second, guys. Go ahead, man. No worries. Go in the other room. There. Um, Kennedy. My son. My son just Yo. ran. That's fine. You talk to him. We'll talk to Kennedy. Kennedy, dude, tell me about... Uh, uh, well, fuck. I guess I can find out the date on this bottle. There should be one, right? I don't know that there is. There might be. I didn't look. This is going back to the question from last week. Do I look at bottle or date codes when I go to a shop for bottles? I don't. Right, so there's something underneath that says L25206. Would that be a date? I don't know. That is the date. So that's British date coding. So you gotta you gotta decipher that. 
So Do you know that, Chris? Cast Google British state coding L twenty five two oh six. On it. Um all right, let's get back to you. You were saying. Yep. So so you know, the, there were so many considerations in my head at the time as to what I could do. And and the, the crazy part is, is I was hired as marketing director, but I was also in charge of all the commercial business for a while. Um, and I had a great starting team. You know, we had a lot of good puzzle pieces that we could, we kind of set down early, but there's so much you don't know. And <laughs> calling my <laughs> job marketing director was just, it's just like laughable because it was, it's everything, right? You, you, you know this, you all know this. Like if you're at a small business and a startup, <laughs> I wanted that experience, but it's like, what did you do today? And you're like, I don't, I don't know how to tell you what I did today. Like I, I'm, I'm struggling to, so it was part of that. And, um, we got into it pretty quickly, uh, in terms of what we had to do to be successful. You know, we, we got our brand planning. I put our brand planning in place and our, and our sort of fundamental stuff I do for my company. Now the brew enthusiast, let, let me delay you for a second and ask you the parameters there, because. I had forgotten about the Bronx Brewery. I know I know that story. I believe we've talked about it on the show, so I know I know it, but it slipped my mind. But when when pre the the shutdown with that brewery, when you're talking about branding, what was the original ambition of Torch and Crown? Was it to put beer all over the city, all over New York, all over the East Coast? Like, what was the aspiration and trajectory of where you thought you were going before everything got shut down as a branding manager where were you trying to establish brand awareness we we had like, a, what was that path i had the island of manhattan in my brain okay right? and that's that's what my and this is strictly from my perspective you know so the business plan aside um when i thought about what we were going to do to to sort of stick our stick our stake in the ground and and be successful <clears throat> you know when you go to torture and crown's website even now which is i think the one that i built from a while ago you know, the first thing you see is our slogan, right? Which is Manhattan's Brewery. And so it's one of those, it's one of those moments where we said, we're going to, we're not going to box out everybody else, but we're going to own this so that when you come to the island of Manhattan, the experiences that you have, the things, you know, we need to be synonymous with that experience, whether it's the office culture, whether it's the tourist culture, whether, you know, it's that kind of thing. And so that was part of it, but then you had to get down to fundamentals of, okay, we need points of distribution. We need brand awareness, right? We need to get out there. And so I, I was able to leverage a lot of my relationships at Guinness to get us draft lines and things like that at different points, at different bigger bars around the city. And it, it was a combination of a lot of commercial execution with putting those brand fundamentals in place to say, who are we? Why do we do what we do? What is our voice? How do we get out there? And so the Bronx, the Bronx production facility is both a very difficult it's a liability right because it's so expensive to run but it's also saved the brand during the pandemic because you know we had my favorite day to drink beer is saint patrick's day that was true before guinness that will be true for the rest of my life and yep um we had the worst saint patrick's day ever, right so it, it was instead of me drinking eighteen thousand pints of guinness it was me delivering beer to people in their apartments right in my car wow. and it saved our business because we had a you know emergency meeting basically on that Friday, March 13th. And we were like, hey, so 100% of our customers are going to get shut down. We'll have no cash flow starting um, tomorrow, right? And so what do we do? And have, have, By the way, having had the success of placing it in a lot of important places, right? Yeah. You yeah. were ahead of the new guy curve that morning. We were, do, we were 
we were okay, you know, and, and you never know. And the, the brewery and restaurant hadn't even opened yet. And that was the flagship location, right? That was the gem downtown in Soho. But we were at least putting some of those pieces into play. And we had to, we just said, what the fuck are we supposed to do here? And so I basically spent the weekend building us a really, I mean, we, I really dialed it in, you know, over the next year or so, but um, a really like quick janky e-commerce DTC business. Um, and long, long story short, on Tuesday, March 17th, the worst St. Patrick's Day ever, uh, we put a, you know, Instagram post out and we we're like, and a quick email to our list. And we said, hey, if anyone wants beer, order it here, we'll deliver it to you in two windows today in the next two hours. And Augie, we got a hundred orders on the first day wow. and we turned into a a well lubricated direct consumer beer delivery business for the next six months that saved the business because it netted us enough cash flow that we could continue to we built the brand in 2020 and built brand awareness during the pandemic when nobody walked outside of their apartments right when the whole world was falling apart and i you know i will hang my hat on that for the rest of my career and say that it, it it's all of us, right? We all put the time and the effort in. we all schlepped the beer around the city. I was delivery driver for six months, right? As well as marketing person and salesperson and everything, packaging person and pack tech person and everything, right? But like, we all did it. And it was just insane. You know, we, we had this whole flow we had to build and this, this way of communicating with customers. And we had so, so many emails and DMs and and um, just really amazing positive pieces of feedback from our customers saying you guys like saved us during the pandemic because we could get great local beer produced in the city and like I got close with 200 of what I assume is still some of Torch and Crown's best customers because I delivered beer to them every other day right and <laughs> I like showed up at their fucking apartments and I was like hey Greg like how you doing today he's like I'm all right you know and I dropped him four packs and and we talked and, and, you know, I'll see you in a few days. He's like, yep, you absolutely will. Right. And like, <laughs> it was, it... have you ever seen, have you ever seen, there's a show, I think it was on HBO, but there's a show. It's kind of a great, just like New York little stories show, but the link from story to story was a weed delivery guy. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't Are you aware of the show? All right. We'll find out what it is and I'll send it to you later, but it's neat. But it's, yeah. I feel like you're telling that story. So basically all they're doing is telling these ridiculous New York stories we all know, but the way you transfer from the, what is it called? High maintenance. High maintenance. Yeah. So the way you jump from the story of the, you know, two people trying to make a go of it in a subsidized apartment in a big expensive apartment building versus the, housewife on the upper east side versus whatever is the guy that delivers weed to all of them but i just envisioned you showing up the door with on your you know on your justin bike with your right pet leg rolled up and your yep. your manhattan portage bike bag full of <laughs> you know tasty loggers <laughs> and go deep into the 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 you know the vibrator purchasing sex life of this group of women that have just gotten a weed delivery. It's, it's a cool show. Watch it, but you just popped into my head as that person. So sorry to interrupt. I feel like I missed something. Watch the show. Good show. <laughs> now that you said that, like, I, I feel like I should have dug deeper into it. It's something. a great show. It's, it's, it's a small show. It doesn't try hard. It's never going to make a big splash, but it was a great conceit and he's a neat character. 
and like I said, he's just your way through doors in Manhattan. So it's 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 a strip. When you told that story and you're like, hey, here's your beer, Greg. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're the weed guy. And we need to make that movie. Exactly. Local beer delivery guy in COVID meets everybody in town. <laughs> yep. Anyway, sorry. Remember, I did work in production for 15 years. My yep. brain can't help but write stories. Yep. Anyway, go on. No, no, no. I mean, that that that's the the pandemic you know, tail in a nutshell and the rest of the business. I mean, it's so, it's so aggressive, right? Like torch and crown as a idea has been done. Manhattan has this fabulous, fabulous brewing history, right? It's 400 years old. There's been dozens and dozens of famous breweries that have produced hundreds of thousands of barrels of beer on the Island. Um, almost nobody knows those stories, right? Cause they're so transient and nobody, nobody cares anymore. Right. But um, we wanted to kind of hang our hat on some of that brewing tradition and then say, hey, we can we can do this. We can make a go of it. It's expensive. It's difficult. It's everything that, you know, we know it's going to be. But if we play our cards right and we're smart and we run it like a business, which, I, you know, full credit to, to John and the rest of the, the founding team, um, all of us is, is we run we, we ran it like a business and you have to do that in such a difficult environment. And and I thought we did a really, you know, pretty damn good job, all things considered. And so um, it's been a, it was a crazy ride and and I'm so proud of what was built. And I certainly hope that Torch and Crown um, continues to, to see the success that they've seen so far because, you know, they're playing, they're playing good cards. Yeah, they, they definitely seem to be building and building. And I mean, we all know how hard it is to start a small business anywhere in the world, especially one with 19 levels of government regulation. But I remember them, like they were, they were going to do Torch, Torch and Crown for so long mm -hmm. to finally see it come together right in 2020 was unnerving. But like yeah. I said, when I'm wandering, like I, I'm barely in the city anymore, but when I am and I'm like wandering to go see one of my old doctors or something, I'm apt to stop into a bar for a pint. And I, I see their beer enough that it's interesting, right? And and again, I think like you were saying, and that's probably a credit to you, but they seem to hold handles in normal bars, right? It's not the, it's not the small beer place that has a, you know, an other half tap, an interbro tap, a grim tap, and then you know some other. It seems to be in amongst the Stellas and Guinnesses. That's the that was purposeful. Um, my my favorite place to drink beer is not at craft beer bars, right? My favorite my favorite place to beer drink beer is at the best pub in the world, right? Wherever that is, whatever your local pub is, and and I um, Swifts, yeah, like Swift, <laughs> great example. Swift is a great example of a fantastic pub, and and you know we, I, I I wanted us to be the beer that was a fantastic beer that was accessible, and part of that was saying, look. We've got four, you know, low hanging fruit, right? We've we've got four hundred thousand um, Irish pubs here, um, and whether they're serving great beer is a separate discussion, which we, I'm sure we could have at some point here. But uh, the fact is, is that they've got, uh, in terms of like the quality of their draft beer, but like they've got, they've got people in there, they've got communities that they've built, and that's where Torch and Crown needed to be. And those are your best accounts, the ones that rotate you off all the time. Yeah. We all know this, you know, those those are tough accounts to hold. Yeah. I have a friend, like literally, I had this discussion last night, but I had a friend who's moving in the city to kind of shake her snow globe. And she is, you know, she's not 20 years old 
moving to the city and she was having some trepidation and concern. And I said, one of the most interesting, interesting things to me about my life in Manhattan as both customer and server was that it's, it's the only place I know in the world where it's completely fucking normal for a person to walk in, sit down at a bar and just eat a meal in their neighborhood with their bartender and as you get comfortable in your neighborhood and all that it becomes oh if you're looking for augie he's probably going to be at the point seat at you know one fifth between six and eight and is perfectly willing to have drinks with you if you go in you know what i mean and if i'm looking for my buddy nick he's going to be here and if you're looking for your friend meg she's going to be here and that's the community i think you're talking about and it's it's i think it's unique to new york in my experience right where else do you find single diners with a book having a 70 dollar dinner at a bar it's you know what i mean it's ubiquitous it's most it's it just because the sheer number of people in new york city you see that a lot more and it's much more ubiquitous but there's also i have found i did a lot of travel for guinness and i found these little pockets around the country that were phenomenal right and it was the exact same thing you described and those those little pockets of culture and community, um, that's why I'm in beer. I mean, I'm not saying that to be romantic. Yeah. I'm saying that because that's literally my favorite thing about it. And the beer these days, you know, I am still a, a hopeless beer nerd. But to me, the beer these days has become, in my ripe old age, secondary to everything else you just described. And that's that's the yeah that's that's what it's all about for me is is finding those little pockets. It's amazing stuff. I can't tell you how frustrating laws are like I, I just got back from a week out in denver and then a small town outside denver um and just the fact that you know a guy was allowed to start a coffee hut in the middle of a square that also served some draft beers from colorado in case what you wanted in the park was a beer instead of your coffee or tea and then you come here where the only way you're allowed to serve a single 12 ounce bottle of Bud is if you bought a half a million dollar liquor license. New Jersey is upsetting now. That's an upsetting. But it's, yeah. but it's, it's because so, I'm literally in these rooms with these great, like, and I know Denver's been doing craft beer longer and more thoroughly than just about anywhere except maybe Portland. But you go by these places and it's, it's still people sitting around tables of six and 12 drinking beers and talking. And New Jersey's made that community experience illegal through tax. It's so weird to me. Anyway, sorry to bitch. I hate to do that, but I had, I had such a refreshing, so true. Yeah. like fuck. Anytime you go to beer stock, you're reinvented, you're reinvigorated on the experience of drinking and community. But, you know, I mean, it was just, oh, yeah. it's just such a different thing. And it's only our laws that are keeping our people from being friends. My, my last, it makes rant, me nuts. My rant on that, where I live here, I've lived here in Brooklyn for five years. I lived in Manhattan for a little over five years. And the rant that I currently have where I'm sitting right now is that within, there are three quarters of a million people within a mile and a half of where I'm sitting right now. And the thing is, is that there, there is not one pub, not one. Okay. And I'm blown away. <laughs> there are some decent, like the Swift that you talked about, right? The amazing pub. Yeah. There, there isn't one. And I'm trying to figure out why. 
and it makes me <laughs> makes me so upset every week i'm like there's seven <laughs> breweries but there's no place where i can go get a pint of guinness and just like talk to ralph you know it's crazy mm-hmm. you know what you got to do is get on the go wall street they're shockingly good shockingly good okay. 500 year old Irish bar that won't die on Wall Street because they've been there for 500 years. Um, it's always you a weird part too? of town. You go after all the Wall Street people go home. Yeah, I know we got to do beer too. I know we've been ranting, but it's supposed to be a show about ranting. I know. All right. So here's the weird thing about beer too. Here's the weird thing about beer too. I pulled my Target bag out and beer two's foil came with it. So I know what I'm drinking. So I am performing the biggest sacrilege in the world, and I'm drinking a fucking mug beer straight from the can to see if I have any different experience. Now, Chris, it's not your job to come in here and be put on the spot as the only blind guy on this beer, but you're the only blind guy on this beer. So if you want to share any insights with us, let me let me I'd love to hear open. them. Let me crack her open. But if you want to tear the foil off and just drink it and talk about it, because that's dual. I think you could probably talk about it without tasting it. First hint. Um, you know, I'm, do I'm gonna that. I'm going to do it. No, I'm excited about this. This I, I, I will try to give you my notes as you wrap your head around it without, you know, just my most platonic, this is what it's doing notes. But there's a very neat, fun molasses finish. Like it just, it's got that kind of, that, that, Oh man, I this dark is... gingerbread. <laughs> Guys, go on. this you go. This smell, this smell. Oh my god, this smell is bringing me home to a <laughs> specific memory I have. And my memory is, I, I I used to live in D.C. for a long time, and I helped open a couple of craft beer bars with some friends um, while I was working consulting there. And this fucking smell. Oh my god. So the the owner of one of the bars, okay was a huge fan of i already think i know what this beer is so he was a huge fan of <laughs> this smell of this beer and this beer if you i you know I, i've worked in draft and teaching draft and um draft beer for a long time and this beer is impossible to pour on draft if i think if if i think i know what this is and he insisted he insisted that it be on draft and i insisted that this is a terrible <laughs> taste a lot of beer um because we don't have the system dialed in to the point where you can serve this beer but this is like raisin and there's dark. a lot of carb on this beer. It's like huge and bright and raisiny and kind of boozy smelling. Yeah. This can I guess? Can I guess what yeah. this is? So you can absolutely guess because it'll make it easier on all of us to talk if you're right or wrong. Okay, so I go on. My foils here. This smells like Adventinus. Is this Adventinus? Yep. Yeah, yes, yeah, it, it is. is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well done, Chris. And, and well what done. I was trying to do, what I was yes. trying to do in my platonic approach is it nails exactly what you're just saying. It tastes like Christmas cake yes. without the cherries, right? It's like Christmas cake if the fruit was figs. Oh, do you know what I mean? Like oh, there's yeah. that molasses and that. Ah, oh. but yeah, it's lovely beer. Warm it's... in my cheeks, Kennedy. You see. You did the old rope-a-dope, Kennedy. You gave us a small, <laughs> easy crusher and then put an Aventinas behind it. I was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a lovely beer. It's a big beer. So tell me more yeah. about the serving of it. What what about serving it? Is it because of the high carb? That's right. So the, the, the problem with carbonation is that carbonation, you know, I do this when I teach these draft classes that I run. The carbonation, it 
is awful, right? CO2 causes a lot of problems for us as humans, as human beings. Um, but it's it's delicious inside a beer, so we just deal with it. And the the problem with draft is that the higher the CO2 level, I mean, the more finicky, there's there's a, a logistical curve um, that goes with that. And the more CO2 volumes that you shove into liquid, um, the harder it is to manage. And the problem is, is most people don't have a really dialed in, really good temperature management system within their draft beer. And so when you but do then, that, then I think you, you run into, do you see the problem where, so the way to make it easier to serve a, a beer card this high is serve it at like 33 degrees, which is, a but a problem. beer like Aventinas completely fails until it's at 48. That's right. And right? so when, like, when you pour the Duvels and the Adventine, you know, the Adventinuses and you, you pour these like big, huge, boozy Belgian and, you know, box strength beers from, from the European continent. The problem is, is yes, you have to basically, the instructions that you would give is like, I'm going to pour this for you really cold, but cup this bad boy for 10 minutes and just give it a good whiff. Right. Right? And then, and then. But, and I, what's funny is I think towards the end of the show, cause I know we are out of time Kennedy, but, but I think towards the end of the show, you brought us first full circle to our Guinness discussion, which is there's nothing super special about the Guinness in Europe, except that they serve it warmer. And to, because in America, everybody throws the Guinness keg next to the Coors Light keg, which absolutely needs to be 33 or it's going to taste like the poison it is. You, uh, you, you serve Guinness 20 degrees below where it should be served. And everybody's like, oh, it tastes different in America. And I've always just 100% blamed that on temperature. Again, why Swift's is such a great place is they just keep their Guinness kegs in a different fridge. You know what I mean? So it's funny. We're all the way back to a discussion you and I had in 2018, which is yep. we need, if we want to be beer centric, we need, what was, hey, hey, Kennedy, what was the funny name Yepa tried to brand the pouring system at first? Oh, the, uh, remember he had like, he could dial the gas and temperature capacitor. levels. Flux capacitor. capacitor, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't think right. that was yep. So everybody needs a flux capacitor. That yeah. that would no, be yep definitely tried to tell me that was a real thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. I mean, they they do have they do a couple of those bars. I feel like Treadwell Park had that too, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they yeah. They did that. If you could dial in the, the CO two pressure, um, perfectly for every single beer, then that would be great. But like Schneider is just impossible, and so. It just turns into a pile of foam, and then you order a three hundred and fifty dollars sixtal, and I look at him and I go, <laughs> "Cannot be serious right now, you know? Like this is, a, right. you know, this is insane." So tell me, because you would know this better than me. I just, I'm one of those lazy motherfuckers who just puts a keg on, jacks the fucking gas to some absurd level like thirty two, and just pours fast, and assumes I'm going to finish the keg in twelve hours, and I won't have any CO two pickup in the future, and if I don't. That's on me. Uh -huh. But um, if you could if you could find so let's call the perfect temperature for Aventinas 44. Mm -hmm. How much gas do you think you'd have to push with to pour properly at 44 at this level of CO2? Like so some this is a certain number, right? It's big. Well, it, it's a the, the, there's two dependencies. The the quick answer is there's two dependencies. The first is that it depends on what your gas mix is. And the second, the second is it depends on what your line length is because that, that will tell you what your, uh, yeah. your sure has to be. But 
Um, the, here's the thing. I think Schneider is pushing like 3.5, if I'm not mistaken. I think something like this, this big, huge bubble. This is about as carbbed as it gets, right? So this is probably 3.5 volumes, if I had to guess, around there in terms of its like its its um, CO2 concentration. So mm -hmm. at 3.5 volumes at 44 degrees, if you're pushing with normal 60-40 gas mix, so that's 60% CO2, 40% nitrogen, right? So that would be... Mm -hmm. That would be at a tremendous amount of pressure you'd have to put on that keg in order to simply maintain the amount of CO2 pressure already in the keg, right? So the CO2 draft system is not to inject beer. It's only to maintain. The nitrogen's job right, is just to, to keep equal pressure on the flat top part of the liquid, that's right? right? That's all you're supposed to be doing. And then the nitrogen pushes the rest. Guinness, Guinness is easy to put on draft, right? Guinness is so low. It's, it's, it's 1.1 CO2 volume. So you don't, it's very, it's very not finicky in terms of a beer to pour, right? It's very easy. Um, it requires a ton of specialized equipment. So that's why it's annoying. But in terms of the actual pouring itself, but yeah, Schneider's just, it's annoying and you're not going to, you're not going to be able to put enough pressure given a normal gas mix um, on this beer on a consistent basis. You can, it's possible. It's been done, but most places just don't have their system dialed in well enough to really make that come to life. So, and, and in most systems where you to do that, you'd be shooting five other beers out of a regular Sankey faucet at like, you know, 7,000 gallons a minute. No, not necessarily. Just... You have, you have <laughs> secondary regulators in the cold box, right? So, so your cold box, you can apply different pressures to different kegs, but the thing yeah, is, it. it's the, the problem is the gas mix because at, at 60, 40, You'd have to be pushing, like you said, at 30 or 35 PSI, which means that beer is going to come out of the tap at 7,000 gallons per minute. And then what, <laughs> it, what happens when it hits the glass, right? Right. Yeah. It just, it, it foams yeah. up. So. And ridiculous breakout. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. All right. So I think we've gotten ridiculous geeky on just about everything <laughs> we were supposed to get ridiculous geeky great. on. This John is Hall is, John Hall will never listen to this episode. But boy, yeah, where's John? Where's my, where's my friend John? John is, John is fucking living his best fucking life. I'm so mad. Like, you, you know, I'm just constantly jealous of anybody having fun. But right now, like, all of uh, somehow the whole world decided they were going to Oktoberfest and then to Belgium together. And cool fucking people to drink with, including my good friend John Hall and his whole, you know, John now travels in an M. Souter Dantes entourage. So <laughs> they're all over there for Oktoberfest together, like they're, um, you know, like they're the Wu Tang clan or something. And then, uh, and then other fun people like Brandon Jones and, and Todd Di Matteo are over there having gone, I think think from germany to belgium and just everybody in my feed is just showing me things i really wish i was fucking doing yeah every day this week and we did try to get john to dial on mid-afternoon in, in i think he's in uh where's schlenka uh that's in bamberg. i think he's in bamberg, bamberg? today bamberg, yeah. but i'm i'm betting he was because it's six hours later over there, right? So if it's 11 yeah, here, seven, it's yeah. just going on five in the afternoon. So I don't think John doesn't want to be here. I think John defensively said, I'm going to be wasted and it's going to be 10 a.m. for you guys. And I'm not going to be that he's asshole. Four, he's four liters in. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's much better at that than me. But John is 100% living his best life. I am, I am very jealous of John this week. Anyway, Cass. 
Tell them how to give us five stars on Apple and thousands and thousands of patroons and get at us. And then, Brendan, I'm sorry, Chris, you're going to owe us a rundown of all of your new businesses having moved on from the last two. So, Cass, you first. Yeah, patreon.com slash steal this beer. Thank you all for kicking in those ducats. Uh, it gets us beers to drink here on the show and, and much, much more. Uh, follow us on all social medias at steal this beer. Uh, still got to catch up on on tap, but you could check that out too. Uh, steal this beer podcast at gmail.com. Send us some love letters. Tell us about your favorite bitter or, uh, you know, God, that bluebird, whatever. Was good. So good. <laughs> so good. All right. And now, Chris, tell us all the fucking things you're up to because you left, you left shepherding a new brand through COVID to make four new startup businesses. Yeah, I'm a little busy. By the way, Cass, that sounds that sounds just as smooth as I remember, man. That delivery, that is just right. Dude, he's he's fucking margarine. That guy is smooth butter. I yeah, I'm I'm feeling greased up just listening. To <laughs> Thank you. you. Appreciate uh, it. I yeah, so I, I still run my consulting practice, the Brew Enthusiast, uh, which is a brand consulting and digital design company. So I, I work with breweries on brand fundamentals, things like mission, vision, um, brand positioning, voice, all that kind of stuff. Things that most breweries don't bother to do, but these are fundamental stuff that you have to do if you're a company. Um, I also started uh, Resin, which is our ERP and CRM um, platform, which is, you know, I think a pretty awesome uh, piece of software for small to medium-sized breweries. So please get in touch if you'd like to talk about Resin. And then, yeah, we are kicking off the draft shop as well, which is uh, my attempt at finally solving all of the shitty draft beer being served in this country and we're going to do it through visibility and tools and resources and a platform that actually gives customers um, the information they need to to buy better beer and understand what they're getting themselves into one tap at a time um well done man like i said i think we touched on all those and i think if you're listening you you get a sense that we're talking to a competent person in all three of these fields so if you need those things reach out to him for sure um Cass, you told him to go on Apple and give us five stars and send us money on Patreon and write Kennedy a letter. Kennedy, yeah. you don't have a short letter, do you? Or way I don't I don't have a short letter. No, I've got a, a long letter. We'll do it in a different episode. Right, let's save yeah. it for the yeah. next episode. But whoever yeah. wrote it, thank you for writing it. Who wrote it, Kennedy? Just tell me the person. Uh, I just closed the fucking That's browser. Fine. Don't worry Hold about up. it. Anyway, whoever <laughs> okay. wrote it, thank you for writing it. We need letters because if we don't get deep into the minutiae of how to press Aventinas through in the last five minutes, it's usually a good way to fill the last five minutes. Wait, Augie, but, can uh, I tell you a quick boat thing? Quick boat thing. Okay. I love boat. Always willing to talk about boat. Okay. <laughs> so I was I was at um, Bar Great Harry, which is a great bar here in here in Carroll Gardens. You know it well. Love Bar Great Harry. Yes. Yeah. And somebody walked in from doesn't matter, but wasn't New York City, and they walked in with a boat beer in their hand, and they said. And I laughed at this because I was sitting there drinking a pint at the bar. And they said, has anyone had this beer before? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we've had that beer. That's a great beer. <laughs> and they were like, this beer is outstanding. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe it. But these guys, I'd never heard of them. They're from New Jersey. I didn't even know they made beer in New Jersey. And this guy oh, went on and on about boat beer. And I was dying. <laughs> I want you to know. Did you, did was you, it get, did you get him on TikTok? 
It was, I mean, I, I need that shit out there, man. I know you, you do, man. Even that, my closest friends on this show reject how genius Boat is. Like, how, <laughs> how am I, I? I need this shit out there. Everybody thinks I'm joking. If I'm you're a, a drunk, Boat beer is the best beer in the world. I'm Can a we just say that? All children, and I need as many beer donations right now as possible. So please send me Boat as well. All right. That's, I, I will. I'll send you some Boat. But yeah. so, you know, it's funny about that, not to digress, but what's funny about doing that in Bar Great Harry is. Everybody will remember my first brew partner and my co-parent of Boat is Jesse Ferguson, who now owns Innerboro. But the whole time Jesse was brewing with me, he was coming down here from Brooklyn. So for 12 years, Jesse did a great job of just getting Boat in the places he drinks when he's home. And Bargrade Harry has been serving Boat when Boat's available almost continuously for a dozen years oh, yeah. so you know i think you said some number which i think was probably exaggerated but maybe not but there's four hundred thousand bars in the five boroughs the Very one good. to walk into with boat and be like have you guys heard of this that's hilarious is bar great harry oh yeah <laughs> like had you walked into almost any bar in the world you're probably gonna get a nope never heard of it but in that place i think it gets around no, it got it got some grins. It got some grins. It was great. I love it. All right. Well, thanks, man. That's a great story. You made me feel good. I like that. What a charge up. Thank you so much. Kennedy C, tell Hall this. Cut that out and I send know, it to Hall. I know. I know. Anyway, thanks for coming out. Because we love y'all. Be good, y'all. Get at us. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.